The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 65 of Some Assembly Required, your weekly adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are going to be talking about Avengers number 60, Till Death Do Us Part. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by John Buscema, inks by Mickey DeMeo, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in January of 1969. Starting off with our cover, this is a really crazy kind of cover. There is so much going on, and so much of it is actually representative of what happens in the book. It's kind of impressive. A lot of people think that comic book covers not showing what's in the actual book is a modern problem, and I think over the last 60 issues and 65 episodes, we've demonstrated that's not necessarily accurate. This cover, however, touches on pretty much everything major that's going to go on in this issue. We've got the Circus of Crime, there's a wedding, we have Yellow Jacket, there's a snake coming out of a cake, there's the other Avengers, all kinds of stuff going on, and we will see all of this and more in this issue. Moving on to our opening splash page, this page is absolutely amazing. I just love it. The wedding invitation feels spot on. Everything is in place. It looks like a real wedding invitation. Even the uh, the writing on here looks correct. It's also worth noting that all of this wonderful calligraphy font, because this is a comic book, that's all hand lettered too. So someone put in some serious time to hand letter that. Letters, again, are kind of the unsung heroes of comic books. You don't realize that lettering is good until you see what bad lettering looks like. And then it, you can't unsee it and it's just burned into your brain. I also really like the fact that we see Captain America's reflection in the mirror and it perfectly matches his body pose based on kind of the point of view the reader has. It's like you're inside Captain America's head. It's a really nice effect. It's very well executed. So obviously Captain America is reading the wedding invitation for Janet Van Dyne, otherwise known as Wasp, and the hero known as Yellow Jacket. And this wedding is coming up very quickly. And it's only been a few days since the events of last issue, so really everyone is pretty stunned that this is happening. Now, Captain America, you can see by his facial expressions and by his exclamation of, it can't be, that he has a hard time believing this is really happening. But being that it is a former Avengers teammate getting married, he feels obliged to go to the wedding. So, Captain America makes his way through a just massive throng of people, including police officers who are waiting outside for him. And I really like this because it shows Captain America dealing with his celebrity in what I would term a very stand-up manner. That even when he's got something really heavy on his mind, he's not blowing people off. He's willing to sign autographs on the way, and he's very congenial to people, and he's just being a really nice, really good 
person just kind of warms me inside to see Captain America doing this. It also is worth pointing out that this is one of the many cameos that we will see of Captain America returning to the Avengers before he actually makes a full return to the team. Captain America left for personal reasons to go pursue a relationship with an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he'll eventually make his way back to the team but until he does he pops in and out of the book from time to time. Now obviously with the Avengers kind of partially assembled obviously Wasp is not here and Goliath is presumably missing the Avengers just kind of feel free to talk about what's going on. Captain America tries to figure out what's going on, why the Avengers haven't made a bigger issue out of this. You know, they suspect that Yellow Jacket has murdered their teammate at worst and at best left him to die. So why haven't they gotten the authorities involved? And it's interesting because the Avengers get super fixated on this idea called corpus, and I'm going to say this second word wrong probably, delicti. It's Latin, I don't speak Latin, never took Latin in in high school, so please forgive me. It is worth noting, at least in the issue, that they do spell the word wrong. The second E that they keep using is actually supposed to be another I. But corpus delicti is the legal requirement that you have to prove a crime was actually committed to charge someone. Right? If you accuse someone of stealing something, you have to prove that goods were stolen. In the idea of a murder, you obviously have to prove that someone died. Now the Avengers take this a little bit literally, saying that they don't have a body so that they can't prove that is dead. In reality, in court, you don't necessarily need a body. Obviously, a body is the easiest way to prove someone has been murdered. But, for example, you could prove that there is blood at the scene of the crime belonging to the victim and of such a quantity that the person wouldn't have survived losing that much blood. That is a possibility. But the Avengers are just very fixated on this idea that they can't go to the authorities because they don't have Hank's body. And that's not strictly true. I also kind of wonder, you know, why the Avengers haven't gone looking for Hank. Admittedly, they can't shrink down to ant size but if i remember the fight correctly from last week it looks like it took place in or around hank's lab so they could at least go to the lab maybe look through the ruins hank is supposedly left as spider fodder so they can go look for this spider's web they can go look for him and they don't i find that really weird i'll talk in a little bit as to why that doesn't happen but at least i'm reading through this without adding in too much future information we'll call it i find it very odd that they don't even make an attempt to look for their fallen comrade. So from here, we cut to Wasp and Yellowjacket arriving on scene in a newly constructed honeymoon hovercraft. As they arrive, Wasp and Yellowjacket interact with the Avengers a little bit, and Wasp gets exceptionally aggressive when it comes to defending her decision to marry Yellowjacket. Again, before the end of this episode, we will get to the reasons why, and it makes sense from a certain perspective. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. But it does seem a little odd that Wasp is so very adamant about her decisions. Now, part of me really likes that because it's Wasp standing up for herself and not letting other people push her around. Her saying, this is my decision, I'm going to make it, and I don't really care what you guys want. It's my life to live. I got a lot of respect for that. At the same time, she is defending a decision that makes very little sense to anybody but herself. So it is absolutely her decision to make. At the same time, her friends are trying to look out for her, and she's unable able to offer any kind of assurances to them that this is an okay thing. Now, what wedding would not be complete, especially in the 1960s, without 
a minister. And as it turns out, there is apparently only one minister in the Marvel Universe, and he is the same minister who performed the wedding for Reed Richards and Sue Storm back in Fantastic Four. And he does note to himself that Hopefully that the wedding is more peaceful than the last one he did at the Baxter building years ago. Because superhero weddings never go well, as we shall soon find out. So as Jarvis is getting the preacher settled, the doorbell rings, presumably at the back of the mansion, and in come the caterers, who apparently Jarvis has never met, and yet he still gives them information on deactivating the Avengers security alarms so that they can get in and out of the building as necessary. Which to me seems a little bit risky, especially given Jarvis's past, with Avengers security systems. And unfortunately for Jarvis, his faith in humanity is repaid by a stun blast from behind. And it is revealed that the caterers are in fact members of the Circus of Crime. Now, we last saw the Circus of Crime way back when the Avengers broke up and Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and Hawkeye were looking for other jobs. Right, Captain America left the team. He was kind of upset about some things that were going on and how he was being being treated so he left and the other three Avengers were kind of left holding the bag and not really knowing what to do since they had only joined the team a couple of issues earlier and so they ended up with the Circus of Crime. This however is not the reason for the Circus of Crime's appearance. The Circus of Crime is here at the wedding because there's going to be so many heroes gathered in one place that they're hoping to take out most of the Marvel Universe. Specifically they are angry at Thor who is apparently recently thwarted their efforts. The issue references Thor 147 specifically. But because there's all these other heroes here, they're going to take advantage of the situation and they have brought nitroglycerin with them to use as an explosive to destroy Avengers Mansion during the wedding. So for a moment, we will go ahead and leave the Circus of Crime to their criminal activities, and we find Hawkeye trying to check in on Wasp, who is getting ready for the wedding and getting into her wedding dress. And we find Crystal from the Inhumans, a character we have not seen in Avengers before, but who is a regular in Fantastic Four. We see Crystal running interference for Wasp as she gets into her wedding dress because, as many of you know, it is considered bad luck for the bride to be seen before she is walking down the aisle. So Crystal kind of quickly chases off Hawkeye, but we, the audience, get to see inside while Wasp gets ready, and we find Sue Storm helping Janet into her wedding dress. According to the fashions of the time, it is quite the impressive, fantastic wedding dress. Janet refers to it as the best that Saks Fifth Avenue had to offer. Now, even as this is going on, Crystal, again, who is a new addition to this book, really for the moment, although in the future, we will actually will see Crystal in a wedding again as she marries Quicksilver. At this point in time, Crystal takes a moment to question Wasp as to why she's marrying Yellowjacket, especially after everything with Goliath, as Wasp refers to herself as Goliath's unofficial fiancé for years. Wasp pretty clearly tells Crystal to mind her own business, and even kind of questions Crystal's relationship with the Human Torch in kind of much the same manner. For now, we will go ahead and drop the subject. One last thing I do want to mention about this particular scene is that at the end, Sue Storm mentions Millie the Model. So Millie the Model is another Marvel book. It is one of the teen romance books of the time. And Millie the Model is also a character who will periodically pop in and out of the Marvel Universe. It was a book somewhat near and dear to Stan Lee's heart, actually. It was one of the books he wrote when Marvel was kind of barely scraping along before the 
advent of the Fantastic Four. And it's just kind of one of those characters that quietly appears in and out of Marvel comics for many, many years. And is a wonderful little Easter egg for people who know what Millie the Model is. Now, as we see, we get a wonderful splash page of a significant portion of the Marvel Universe attending this wedding at Avengers Mansion. Up in the corner, we've got Hawkeye talking with Black Knight and Daredevil. We have the X-Men up in the other corner. The Fantastic Four here talking to Black Panther. Nick Fury and Spider-Man are talking. Captain America, Iron Man, Vision are all talking with Doctor Strange. This is a really a who's who of the Marvel Universe, and it's a really nicely done page. And it, again, Again, goes to further the idea that hey we've got there's a lot of superheroes at this wedding though interestingly enough the one superhero that the circus of crime is really after right now thor is nowhere to be found thor in fact will not make an appearance this issue so even if the circus of crimes plans had gone down they still wouldn't have gotten the person they really wanted to and then we skip most of the wedding which I think is a little weird, right? This is a wedding issue. Not that I really feel the urge to read a whole issue based on a wedding and like the whole ceremony. I think my own wedding was under 20 minutes. It was really quick and that was on purpose because, you know, there's no good reason for a wedding to last hours, even though they can and do. But, you know, we really do kind of skip to the quote unquote good part with the you may now kiss the bride portion of the ceremony. So apparently nothing out of the ordinary happens between point A and point be here and we just get to assume that it all goes down as one would expect a wedding to. What I find interesting here is exactly how spun up about the whole situation Hawkeye gets. It is far more agitated than I would have expected. Though, the more I thought about it, the more it seems to me that it goes a long way in showing how important and how close Hawkeye had become to his teammate Goliath. If you remember back when Goliath first rejoined the team, he and Hawkeye were at each other's throats almost nonstop. And then as the team kind of disintegrated and Hawkeye Wasp Goliath became the core nucleus around which the team kind of rebuilt itself. The two of them became more of a buddy joking ribbing sort of interaction and it was far more congenial than the constant fighting that they were involved in previously. So I think Hawkeye being this frustrated with the situation may not make a lot of sense on the surface but at least when you dig further down you can find and understand understand at least some reasoning behind it. As a result, Hawkeye storms into the kitchen, where unfortunately he runs into the Circus of Crime, who are not quite ready to spring their trap, and so they attack Hawkeye. They knock him unconscious, and then they tie him up. Although we won't see him tied up here, we see it later in the issue. Back at the wedding reception, it is probably everyone's favorite time, and that is time to cut the cake, because wedding cakes are delicious. And as Janet cuts the cake, out pops a ginormous python. This is the worst take on a stripper in a cake that has ever been seen. This is the kind of thing that people have nightmares about. Instead of a stripper at a bachelor party in a cake, this is a freaking snake in a cake trying to kill you. Where is Samuel L. Jackson when you need him? I have had it with these mother snakes on this mother plane. 
Now, of course, the snake almost immediately attacks Wasp and begins to constrict around her. Thankfully for Wasp, Black Panther jumps in to rescue her from the snake. And of course, you know, I think Black Panther is probably the most fitting person to take on this snake, being the warrior king of an African nation. I feel like of any of the superheroes gathered here, he probably has the most, if not the only, experience with snakes. So Black Panther being the person to deal with it, I'd say that's a pretty good call. Now, as the rest of the assembly superheroes try and figure out what's going on and where this snake came from we see an interesting scene kind of going on behind them of yellow jacket and wasp yellow jacket is showing a surprising amount of care for wasp when wasp is saying how unexpected it is that someone would try and kill her on her wedding day he tells her don't be silly kid who'd try to kill a living doll like you while that certainly does sound a hair patronizing and i won't disagree with that it's meant as a compliment it's meant to be affectionate. This is their wedding day. This is not just Janet's wedding day, but it's also Yellow Jackets. You know, you get caught up in that and, and he obviously is showing a great deal of care for her. Even in the way that John Basuma draws the two of them, it is a very affectionate look from Yellow Jacket towards Wasp. And I find that very interesting. Again, very shortly here, we will explain why all of this is making sense. So stick with me for like another couple of minutes. I swear the answer's coming. But before it does, the Circus of Crime shows themselves to the rest of the assembled crowd and the Avengers attack. And, you know, I will say for the most part, while I kind of like the Circus of Crime because they're a kitschy little band of criminals, they are just way out of their league here. And it's kind of embarrassing. You know, they get a lot of points for being spot on with the theming. But beyond that, it's not really working for them. But once again, the Python manages to get a hold of Wasp, and as a result of this threat to Wasp, we see Yellow Jacket start to kind of freak out a little bit. He gets really tense. He starts clenching his jaw. He kind of drops to one knee. Internally, he's torn. He's saying, you know, there's nothing Yellow Jacket can do about this. So suddenly he's talking about himself in the third person. Wasp's life is on the line here. And without warning, we see Yellow Jacket balloon in size, ripping through his costume to reveal that, in fact, Yellow Jacket has been Goliath this whole time. That Hank Pym is Yellow Jacket. All right, so I'm going to take a second and we're going to talk about this because there are clues spread through the last two issues to tell us that Yellow Jacket is really Goliath in disguise. First off, it is his ability to enter Avengers Mansion undetected. Now, while he snuck up on Jarvis last issue, he didn't actually sneak into the mansion. He was in the mansion and just snuck up on Jarvis. I mentioned last issue that the fight between Goliath and Yellow Jacket just seemed a little bit off. As we will find out later in the issue, the justification for what is going on is accident-induced schizophrenia, though it is more realistically described as dissociative personality disorder, according to at least one source I have. But the inconsistencies in the fight really is the result of the more dominant personality, in this case, Yellow Jacket, establishing itself over the other personality. So this fight obviously never physically happened because these are two separate individuals. It's one person. This is really more of a depiction of the conflict within Hank Pym himself and how Yellow Jacket 
becomes the dominant personality. And the perspective of the fight is really based on how Yellow Jacket feels about Goliath. I've mentioned the cocky swagger, the more aggressive, more forcefully masculine posturing that Yellow Jacket has. Where Hank is not known for these kind of things, Yellow Jacket is showing his contempt for Goliath, for that part of Hank's personality. And he's kind of showing off. That's why we get this slightly inconsistent view of this fight. Next, I'd like to point out that his control over Yellow Jackets is very similar to how Hank and Janet control insects. So obviously this is Hank modifying his existing technology to fit within the new persona. At the end of last issue, Wasp becomes willing to marry Yellow Jacket only after she kisses him. In reality, this is the point at which Wasp realizes who Yellow Jacket truly is. She knows at this point it is Hank. And so from here out, everything she does, she does knowing full well that the man who she is marrying is in fact the man she has always intended to marry. And that part of the reason she's not explaining any of this to anyone is because she's fearing for Hank's mental health. But she still loves him and she still wants to marry him. So she's effectively playing along. In this issue, we see the honeymoon hovercraft that I mentioned earlier that Yellow Jacket apparently invents in a day. Obviously, we know Hank is a genius in the Marvel Universe and is fully capable of inventing something like this. We have no indication that Yellow Jacket is any kind of genius other than this one particular instance. And then finally, what I was just talking about a minute ago is why Yellow Jacket cares so much for Wasp. Right Throughout the last issue and a half, the Avengers have really been kind of playing up the idea that Yellow Jacket is after Wasp's money. And that's why he's trying to marry her. And that maybe he is somehow involved with trying to kill Wasp as well. Like he's playing a, a willing part in it. The reality here is although he's having this mental breakdown, he still loves Wasp and he knows that inside. So the care that he is showing towards her is real. It's just, we didn't know who is showing it. So it seemed weird at the time, but in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. So now that Goliath is on the scene, things go very poorly for the circus of crime very quickly. Goliath manages to remove the snake from Wasp and then physically ties the snake around the ringmaster, which I'm pretty sure if you tied a snake in a knot like that, it would legitimately kill the snake. Like it would it would physically like like break the snake's back or something. So that's a little bit disconcerting. But to be fair, it's a comic book and cartoon gag that has been going on for decades. Now, there's a couple of interesting references in this issue. We passed one and I'll, I'll go ahead and touch on it now. And we're getting to one in the middle of this closing fight. The first one is when the clown, who is a member of the Circus of Crime, mentions the name Emmett Kelly. He said he should have talked to Emmett Kelly. Emmett Kelly is actually a famous clown whom a lot of people would recognize by his makeup. He's known as portraying the character of Weary Willie, and he's a a hobo character based on um, hobos from the Great Depression, but he's got white lips that go significantly past his actual lips and then kind of a black stubble painted on and he dresses like a stereotypical hobo. And oftentimes in, in pictures he's seen kind of no matter what he's doing with this just very massive frown on his face that really is, although very sad looking, also very comical. And he's also well known for introducing the routine where the clown will try and sweep up the spotlight and kind of not running, but chase it around the ring. The other one here is when the Gambinos, who in this issue are actually the names 
sometimes are misspelled as the Gambonos, but the Gambinos attempt to outmaneuver Black Panther when it comes to acrobatics. And the clown says, you might as well challenge Bobby Fischer to a game of chess, trying to convey the degree of futility in trying to defeat Black Panther with acrobatics. Now, Bobby Fischer is the chess master who is probably most famous for defeating Soviet master Boris Spatsky in a widely publicized series of chess matches in the middle of the Cold War in the 1970s. However, it's worth pointing out that this issue came out three years before that series of matches, so that Roy Thomas here is mentioning someone not yet at the height of their fame, and really at this point he was just the youngest grandmaster up to that time period, and he did publish a book of basically his 60 best games in 1969, so that's probably where Roy Thomas is getting the reference here, but I find it interesting that we're getting this reference three years before what really makes Bobby Fischer a household name. As the fight is wrapping up, we cut back to the kitchen, and this is where we see Hawkeye and Jarvis tied up together. Hawkeye is actually strung up on a meat hook as well, and Hawkeye hears all this noise. He gets himself off the meat hook, gets himself out of his bonds, breaks through the door just in time for the entire scene and the entire fight tube over and the police are already there apprehending the the circus of crime it's a really great moment when hawkeye busts through the door and not only is the fight over but he suddenly sees hank pym as goliath and yellow jackets nowhere to be found so obviously we take a moment here at the end of the issue and explain what happened and as i mentioned wasp describes that there was some kind of accident at hank's laboratory and he was exposed to some untested gases and as a result he had this accident induced schizophrenia because of this he created this personality of yellow jacket really explicitly because goliath wouldn't take action to marry wasp so this character yellow jacket who is more aggressive and things like that takes the initiative to marry wasp and then obviously when yellow jacket was unable to save wasp yellow jacket kind of fell by the wayside and goliath took back over. Now, the reality here is that this explanation is total garbage. What we are seeing is the early stages of the breaking of Hank Pym's mind. We have talked repeatedly about how we know where things are going for Hank and that he's going to have these mental breakdowns. And we've seen what I would call hints towards that end. Some of his outbursts, some of his manic behavior, things like that. This is the first solid steps down that path. And it is just the first of many many mental health problems that Hank Pym have. It also tells us a lot about what Hank thinks of himself. In his broken mental state, Hank Pym creates this persona that has utter and total contempt for Hank Pym and for Goliath. That he thinks so little of himself, in this case because he couldn't bring himself to marry Wasp, that this other persona is necessary in order to get the job done. In a lot of ways, especially at this point, before we get to some of the more unfortunate things that that Hank Pym's mental state leads him to do, I really have to feel sorry for him. I mean, one, he's obviously just starting to lose control of himself, and that's a very terrifying thing to happen, that a person no longer has control of their mental faculties. Recently, in the news, Nichelle Nichols, of Star Trek fame has been diagnosed with dementia and I've talked with several people and say that's one of the things I I fear the most is losing who I am and here not only do we see Hank losing who he is in a lot of ways but what he retains despises who he was 
really who he is and that he creates this entire new persona around not being himself. You know, that, that level of, of self-loathing is, is really quite impressive and in a very disheartening and unnerving way. A couple other thoughts kind of here as we close up this issue. And really, this is, this is kind of a, a side note, but it, I think it's worth mentioning here that, you know, Wasp and Hank Pym are legally married now. Having said that, I don't know that this would actually hold up given that Hank Pym is not of sound mind. That's typically a requirement for entering into a legal contract, which regardless of what you think of marriage from a religious standpoint, in the eyes of good old Uncle Sam, marriage is a legal contract and you can't enter into a legal contract if you are not of sound mind. That's just a thing. It's also kind of messed up that Janet would go through with the wedding knowing what she knows, that obviously something is wrong with Hank, that this is in fact Hank and he's not being the same person that she has been with all these years. It's kind of manipulative and again in a lot of ways it's it's really kind of disturbing that she is willing to marry Hank no matter what. I mean I would like to think that your first step is go get Hank help and then consider the wedding where here Wasp is all about the wedding and not really all about taking care of the man she loves who at this point is really in desperate need of some kind of of professional help. Now, it's worth noting that in later years, this will actually be retcon to show that the Avengers were actually aware of everything that was going on and that Hank Pym was Yellowjacket the whole time, but that they chose to let things play out as they did because they were afraid for Hank's mental state. While that certainly works to an extent, obviously I've I've gone through a pretty substantial list of clues that Yellowjacket is actually Hank Pym, so it's not beyond belief that the Avengers could figure this out. I do struggle with believing that the Avengers would do anything to try and help their friend, that they would just let him play out this delusion for fear of his mental health. I mean, I understand this is the 1960s and even the retcon was in 2007. You know, even then, 11 years ago, mental health was still far more stigmatized than it is right now in 2018. But I would certainly like to think that they would be more proactive and more accepting and not just kind of sitting back and watching and bide your time. You know, to me that that seems kind of antithetical to how the Avengers operate as a team and looking out for one another. Overall though, this isn't a bad issue. The Circus of Crime isn't really all that threatening and so really the focus is the wedding as was kind of sold last issue. We do get the wedding and we get the hijinks and whatnot that surround the wedding so I'm not particularly disappointed and of course this is kind of a key issue just because it shows the wedding of Goliath and Wasp, but beyond that, I could really take or leave this issue. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. If you'd like to be a part of the conversation, send your questions and comments to Andrew at AvengersAssembly.com. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at Avengers number 61, some say the world will end in fire, some in ice. All right, hey! All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. <laughs>